0: So yes, I am playing with Legos again. That's what happens when it's cold outside and you can't really go anywhere. I ordered myself a Star Wars Lego set that I could work on while watching Netflix in the evenings. It's been a while since I've done Legos and I had gotten to this part where I had to put on this hatch. As an adult Lego builder, I'm a little bit more serious about it. I actually follow the instructions and don't improvise. And when I couldn't open and close the hatch like it was supposed to, I started to get frustrated because I thought I did it correctly. I was thinking of forcing it down, but I noticed that if I did, it would break. Darn it, I thought. So I put it down. I thought I'd come back to it later. Then I got up out of my chair, and what do you know? A tiny little Lego piece fell on the floor. There it was, the missing piece. I pulled apart some of the Legos I had already attached. I put the missing Lego in, and well, as you saw, it opens and closes. It works. It was bound to happen. The parts are tiny, and each one is pretty essential. Missing a Lego piece could give you an incomplete ship. I assume that nothing's been left out, that the instructions are always correct, and that everything should go together as it should. But alas, parts do go missing. Problems happen when putting things together. And I know that missing one piece to the story of the Bible can also cause big problems. Problems in interpretation, in understanding what Jesus was getting at. For a while, I had to learn to just work around theological matters that didn't fit, that don't make sense in our modern day. But my training has caused me to get up and look around. Much like that Lego ship, parts go missing, and before I jam hatches down, one should always see if there is more, a piece missing to the story of the Bible, more than we've just been handed down. This is how I've found myself reading the Gnostic Bible. It's why I've kept my mind open to parts unknown And I found that even Christianity should remain open to modern discoveries that shed light on the nature of Jesus's life and ministry. This is why I've been reading books that were never really mentioned before. And it's not that they've been proved illegitimate, not that they aren't credible. It's just that we never were taught to go outside of the Bible. We never imagined that it would be okay to look for Jesus in other places. Not only is it amazing that we discovered a whole library of early Christian thought, it's that when I placed this text, this piece, the Gospel of Thomas, that we're looking at today, into the existing structure, I found that it fit and makes the story more whole and more real in such a way that I can't help but share it with you all. Many Christians have been taught, as I have, that Jesus would return one day to restore all things, to get rid of bad politics, to get rid of corruption, to bring justice to certain people who have been taken advantage of. He would do this by coming from the clouds, of course, riding on a white horse, sword in hand, and bringing peace on earth after first wiping out all the evildoers. But when you say that out loud, it's hard to believe, let alone take seriously. Some of us have stopped believing this to be true and just try not to get into that part of the Bible. I mean, when was the last time you heard a sermon series on the book of Revelation? When was the last time you really were concerned with the end of days? Some of us still hold out, though. Maybe those parts of the Bible are allegorical, or maybe we just are still too spiritually immature to understand the fullness of the story. That's the problem with the Bible. You open it up and you begin to read something like Jesus standing up for the adulterous woman about to be stoned. That's a good part of the story or the part when he refuses to let kids be left out of church services, or when he sits with those who have been marginalized by society. We do love the, the quote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on love, and the parts when we are told that the Lord is our shepherd, and so we don't need for anything. The problem is, lumped between all, All of this are passages that aren't just difficult to understand. They're outright disturbing. The parts where Jesus calls a woman a dog. The parts where he is flipping tables. The parts when it says the end will come and one will be taken to heaven and one will be left behind. Somebody actually made a movie titled just that. Check it out and you'll see That it's not meant to be a work of fiction, but rather an interpretation on what will happen when Jesus returns. About the end of days, and it's pretty terrifying. The Jewish people of the Bible were very much interested in this subject. Much like Christians, the Jewish people had hopes that a Savior would come in some glorious way. Not just to rescue and restore them, but to also get rid of all those who weren't deemed righteous. Here's a passage from a book that not many of us have heard of, but uh, it's called the Book of Malachi. And in chapter 4, you'll hear just one of many renditions of how the end will come. Here's what it says. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who revere my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under your feet, On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. A few verses later, it says we'll get a warning before that. Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So mind you that this is in the Old Testament, but it describes the same imagery that Christians have held on to and replicate in their texts. Malachi is the last chapter we have in the Old Testament. The idea was that God would come with all his power and might to crush evil, and only the elect, only the saved, would be spared. I guess that's good news if you're one of those people. And so we see that the Jewish people were not just keeping watch for this day. They were looking for someone else. They were looking for the Elijah. Turn the page of Malachi chapter 4, and you'll see that you're in the New Testament. It begins with the Gospel of Matthew, the the favored Gospel of the Catholic Church. But chronologically, it should really start with Mark. Mark is the earliest of the four Gospels and was the primary source for Matthew. If you do that, you will notice that Mark begins where Malachi left off. It reads, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This was a most important matter because before the Messiah came to usher in the end of days for evil and restore Israel to power. Elijah had to come first to prepare the way, of course. This was a problem for Jesus because people didn't get this. Open up to John 1.21, and you can see that people back then had been waiting for Elijah to come back. They even asked John the Baptist if he was Elijah, to which he said he wasn't. He just said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord. So he didn't acknowledge that he was Elijah. But in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13, it says that John the Baptist was Elijah. And Jesus says this about John. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John came, And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Let anyone with ears listen. As you can see, there is some confusion about the end of days in Jesus' time who Elijah is, and how the Messiah would come. One reason Jewish people had a hard time believing that Jesus was the Messiah was that he didn't restore Israel. No, Elijah came. And he wasn't a powerful leader who advocated overthrowing his enemies. This example I just showed you is why it's so hard to understand the Bible. It isn't always consistent. And one needs to know that the disciples, even John the Baptist, didn't fully understand what Jesus was getting at. One of the most powerful passages of the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 8, where Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see here that wisdom, also called gnosis in Greek, is something that can go missing, it can go hidden, like the Lego I had lost. And it's so crucial to understanding that if they had really got what Jesus was teaching, they wouldn't have crucified him as a blasphemer, as a false Messiah who claimed that God loved all people, even those outside of the law. In the Gospel of Thomas, we get a glimpse at the secret teaching of Jesus. We get to hear what Jesus really taught about the end times. It resembles something taught in our scriptures, but it's more clear. And I think gives us a real answer. In the 18th stanza of the Gospel of Thomas, we can read, The disciples said to Yeshua, to Jesus, Tell us how the end will be. Yeshua said, Have you discovered the beginning and now are seeking the end? Where the beginning is, the end will be. Blessings on you who stand at the beginning. You will know the end and not taste death. Think about all the people who have claimed that the end is near. Think about how this has been proclaimed for thousands of years in the church, in art, in our history, and how central it is to Christian teaching. This idea that an end is coming was never something Jesus wanted us to be concerned with. The same question is reported in Matthew 24 verse 3 when Jesus's disciples asked, What will the sign of your coming and of the end of the age be? Up until the very end of Jesus' life, the disciples were confused. They misunderstood Jesus. They did their best to give us a written account on the life of Jesus. But we see that for so long, we have had a Bible that was written by people who didn't fully understand Jesus... And so parts of it do sound incomplete. It's like things had been left out that made it hard to fully comprehend. But today, we found more pieces, like the books discovered at Nag Hammadi in 1945. The Gospel of Thomas gives us a clearer picture of what the disciples were confused about. For Jesus never meant to scare anyone with a doomsday scenario for the earth and its inhabitants. Jesus came to make us whole and came to bring us new life. He came that we should have eternal life and not taste death. So what does Thomas say is the correct perspective on the end of days? I like the humor in Jesus' response To his disciples, how will the end be? He says to them, Have you discovered the beginning that you're so eager to know about the end? While it sounds funny, his response is rooted in the work that is done in psychology, specifically the work done in psychoanalysis where the Bible has often been seen as a book concerning just supernatural and spiritual things, we can see here that Jesus is referring to one of the fundamental principles of therapy. In order to be made whole, one should not look to the future, but rather to the past, to the beginning. So many of the issues that cause us harm are unseen, Fear, shame, anxiety, guilt, depression. Jesus wants us to know that a Savior isn't coming to magically take those things away, but rather he has come to point us in the direction from which we can find healing. In order to be made whole, to be born again, to be healed from all these earthly symptoms of neurotic behaviors, We must go back to the beginning. We must look to our past, to our childhood, to our upbringing, so that we can walk through and identify those things that caused us to feel broken in the first place. This can happen in therapy. It can happen in community. It can happen when we come to see that Jesus wants us to focus on beginnings and not ends. You see, when black and white people can see that they come from the same place and were taught to be at odds with one another, when Jews, Christians, and Muslims see that they have the same parents, Abraham and Sarah, then healing work can be done. Respect comes from seeing all of this. That seeing all of us, no matter where we are, who we are, or where we are going, we all originate, we all have the same DNA that make up who we are. Jesus wanted us to look back to the beginning. He thought it was a silly use of time to speculate on what will happen at the end. In fact, it was by looking back to the beginning that one could begin the journey of being made complete in understanding where we have come from, how it is we have gotten here, and living in the light of our past rather than in its shadow. When and if we do this, Christianity itself becomes a guide rather than a rule book. It invites us into a process of growth and transformation instead of an apocalyptic vision of divine retribution. Today we have looked at the Bible and asked if maybe some parts have went missing. We have seen that the Bible sometimes is confusing because its followers had been confused themselves. Lastly, we acknowledged a missing piece, the Gospel of Thomas, discovered recently, and have removed some bad theology and replaced it with a piece that makes more sense for us today. My hope is that you would continue to study the whole picture of Christianity with me as we discover teachings that didn't go over every disciple's head, but instead look to some left-out voices in hopes that we can get a clearer picture of Jesus Christ, the healer of broken pasts, and therapist to our hearts and souls. Remember what Jesus taught Thomas as you come into this week. Where the beginning is, the end will be. Blessings on you who stand at the beginning. You will know the end and not taste death.